Welcome to Butterfly Theories, a podcast where we explore how leaders can solve complex problems by creating sustainable solutions. This is episode four, where we will explore how leading others to solve complex problems starts with leading self. I'm your host, Anne-Marie Parent. I've always been curious and fascinated about helping others, especially leaders, solve the big, wicked and complex problems that have been challenging our communities and society. This podcast is my way to share what I have found has worked and to invite you in joining me in leading in this emerging way. In this fourth episode, we will explore how the starting point to being able to lead teams to solve complex problems starts with leading self. First, I'll start off by sharing stories about how not investing in leading ourselves can lead to more problems and why it matters. Then, I will share examples of bad behaviors that can actually make the problems worse. And finally, I'll share what tangible practices and habits we can adopt to lead self. Back in the days when I was a consultant, we organized large group whole system consultation sessions. The consultant that I work with was practicing Zen and in fact took monastic vows as a lay Zen monk. While this senior consultant did not train us on Zen, we were shown how to manage our own personal states as we work with groups and led collaborative sessions. You see, as consultants, we are leading groups through a process and our state, how we behave, how we move into a room surrounded by others, have enormous impact on the group beyond the words, the instructions, and the content we provide. If we arrived at a session in a bad state, such as being angry because it was tough to get the kids out the door that morning, or anxious because we were caught in traffic, the senior consultant would call us out on it when we arrived in the room by saying, change your state or go back home. Thankfully, we were given the skills to do so, so we would put ourselves in check as soon as those words were mentioned. And after a while, we no longer needed to be reminded. Before we walked into the room, we knew we needed to be in an open state before we entered it. Because the sessions we worked on were about solving complex problems, the process often evoked uncomfortable emotions for participants and our clients. Typically, when working on solving complex problems, the process starts with a diverging phase where we collect a lot of information from those engaged in the system. At some point, the amount of elements that need to be considered is significant and feels overwhelming. I will explore this process in a future podcast, but right now, I want to focus on the impact this process has on the states of participants. I will always remember during this one session, at the end of our first day, it really felt like we had opened a Pandora's box on the issue we were trying to solve. One of the clients approached me and said, I feel like I need to throw up. The overwhelming amount of information we were processing and the lack of clarity about the next steps we needed to take made our client really nervous. Had I not been trained on how to manage my state, I easily could have jumped in with my client and also become nervous and anxious. Or maybe I could have been dismissive and just tell her that there was nothing to worry about. Neither approaches would have been helpful. Instead, 
I looked at her and said, I know how you feel. At the end of day one, it always feels overwhelming and uncomfortable. I suggest you go to the bathroom or outside if you need to, take a deep breath, and come back to join us. We'll guide you through this. Those words immediately changed her body language. She felt like I had acknowledged her feelings. I provided her with a few ideas on how to help her in that moment. I also normalized her experience in the context and invited her to continue working with us and to trust the process. I had seen that patterns happen enough to know that leading complex change is hard. It's uncomfortable and it can be overwhelming. And the work is to continue despite those feelings. Being a great leader in a complex system starts with leading self because it is essential for a leader to have the ability to effectively guide themselves before they can effectively guide others. It is similar to the security advice we hear when we board a plane. I like this analogy in this context as a reminder. As the plane is preparing for liftoff, the attendants always remind us that in case of an emergency, we need to put on our mask before we help others putting on theirs. And if we don't put our masks on first, we put ourselves at risk and may not be able to help others. This is also true of leadership. How can we lead others if we cannot even start by leading ourselves? This concept is often referred to as self-leadership and has been championed by multiple well-known authors, including John C. Maxwell, who states that leaders must lead themselves before they can lead others. And Stephen R. Covey, who wrote, The most effective way to influence and inspire others is by example. Self-leadership is the foundation for good leadership and is essential for leading others effectively. If we don't learn to lead ourselves, we develop habits and patterns that aren't helpful and that can even be damaging to others around us. Here are various examples of these patterns that I have seen and that I'm pretty sure that you have as well. The first one, allowing the emotions from one event to bleed into the next. Let's say that we just ended a very frustrating conversation and then leave for our next event, but we bring that frustration with us. The participants in the other event will be experiencing that anger without understanding where it came from. They could feel like they are walking on eggshells, they might not want to share what they think, and they may be more guarded. But all of those reactions have nothing to do with the current topic. It is based on the energy and the state we brought into this other conversation. When I worked directly for a hospital CEO, I remember him telling me that one of the most challenging part of his job was being able to move from event to event without that carryover. For example, maybe he just ended a very challenging conversation with a parent who had just lost a child. And then immediately after, he had to go to a ceremony to offer a long-standing employee a recognition for the significant contribution to the organization. Would it be fair for that employee to receive the recognition from a frazzled CEO? They might read into it and wonder if the recognition was sincere. No, that employee still deserved in that moment the full attention of the CEO and the positive energy 
that came with that for the moment to be and feel authentic. And as challenging as it was, it was that CEO's responsibility to work on how to transition between those events. For sure, it would be possible to attend that meeting with a parent and not feel or sense anything. Those feelings are normal. And I'm not saying the goal is to not experience them. What is important is to recognize that any emotions or feelings are always temporary. They will pass. And through practice, which we will explore in today's podcast, we can learn how to do this more effectively and efficiently. The second example is closing down instead of opening up. We all have states where we might be more open or more closed. Let me explain. Closed states are associated with a contraction of energy in our body. We are usually holding on to that feeling. For example, if we are angry, we often feel contractions and tension building in our bodies. And depending on who we are, we feel that in different places in our body. It could be having a clenched jaw, tight fist, raised shoulders. Or when we are really sad, we can feel tightening in our chest or on our face. Or when we are nervous and anxious, we can feel that contraction near our solar plex or that part near where our ribs join at the bottom of our chest or in our abdomen. When we feel any of those emotions or feelings, we hold on to them. We become less effective. Think about it as a hand. When your hand is closed, you can do way less with it than if you open your hand. Opening your hand allows you to be more effective. From a physiological point of view, when we are angry, anxious, or sad, it leads to an increased production of cortisol, the stress hormone, and adrenaline, which can cause us to become agitated. And when we have cortisol and adrenaline rushing through like this, our prefrontal cortex, or that area of the brain responsible for decision-making and controlling emotions, becomes inhibited. This causes the amygdala, the area of our brain responsible for emotional reactions, to become overactive. So essentially, once we have entered these states of anger, anxiousness, or sadness, we become less effective at decision-making and our behaviors become more guided by our emotions. When our brain becomes ruled by our state, we are also not as open to observing and receiving additional information to help us process what is happening. So, we make bad decisions. Furthermore, as a leader, these states that we are experiencing become transferable to others, making them less effective and making them more reactive based on how they feel. And I know not everyone experiences this the same way, but I know I'm highly sensitive to how others feel. Their state can affect mine. Thankfully, I've learned how to identify when I'm sensing feelings that aren't my own and learn to release them. And in fact, it's the same process as releasing my own feeling. So in a way, the source of those feelings doesn't really matter when it comes to learning how to release them. When we lead others, and remember from last week's episode, we can lead from any position in the organization, it is increasingly important to learn to manage these feelings by releasing them to become more effective. 
just like an open hand is more effective than a closed one. D. Koch, the founder of Visa's credit card, said, If you look to lead, invest 40% of your time managing yourself. Think about it. This is a significant amount of time spent on leading ourselves. So let's dig into the three practices we need to adopt to help us with this. For the first practice, we need to develop our self-awareness. This means being able to recognize as soon as feelings or thoughts appear, how they are impacting us and our behavior. This way, we don't allow our state to bleed into the next event, and we remain open to the new information that is presented to us. The only way I know to develop self-awareness is through a mindfulness practice. Some may think that this is meditation, and certainly it can be. And there are different forms of meditations. Some forms of meditation are there to help us with creating a more open state, and others are there to help us become mindful or conscious of what we are experiencing and thinking in the moment. There is a funny reaction when I talk about mindfulness to friends or peers. They might say, oh, I cannot meditate. I can't stop thinking. And this is a misconception of what meditation or a mindfulness practice is all about. The goal is not to stop thinking because, frankly, we can't really control our thoughts. The goal when we start a mindfulness practice is simply to become aware of our current state, our feeling, and our thoughts without any judgment. This is not something you can just cognitively know. You actually have to do it and practice it, and ideally, practice it daily. There are many available tools and practices out there. What is important is to choose one that works for you and the one that you will commit to doing as regularly as possible. For me, I've been enjoying the Waking Up app by Sam Harris as it provides a daily 10-minute practice, which frankly is all I can give at the moment to this practice. For the second practice, we need to develop our ability for self-reflection. What I mean by this is taking time to befriend our thoughts and process them more clearly. Self-reflection is a great way to learn about how we are thinking and in some ways can help us reprogram how we perceive things. There is a catch, however. The best way for self-reflection is journaling, not just thinking about it. Research has shown how writing down our thoughts and seeing them is a stronger way to practice self-reflection and to improve our clarity of thinking. Julia Cameron wrote a book called The Artist's Way, where she suggests taking time to write three pages every morning, just our stream of thoughts. What is interesting is that once these thoughts are out of our mind, our mind becomes more open to receiving more information and developing new thoughts. It helps us to become more creative and innovative and more effective at solving complex problems. As we start building our mindfulness and self-reflection practices, we might come to identify patterns and behaviors we want to change about ourselves. For example, what if we notice that every afternoon we become tired and tell everyone around us, oh, sorry, I'm feeling tired. I can't think straight anymore. I hear this a lot from leaders, and I would argue that it is our responsibility to manage our energy levels as well. 
Sure, on the odd occasion, it might be okay to feel tired and we can warn others, but when it happens every day, we are no longer present to those that depend on us. And once we realize that, we might want to think about how we can change that and be more present and available to those we lead. So the third and final practice I will suggest for you is one that my executive coach encouraged me to adopt. In fact, I had read about it a few years ago. I was cognitively aware of it, but I had not yet taken the time to put it into practice. And knowing is not the same as doing it. Again, you have to do it to make it work. The practice comes from Marshall Goldsmith in his book, Triggers. He suggests that we develop a series of questions we ask ourselves every day. All questions start with, Today, did I do my best to? And identifying the rest of the question comes from habits or behaviors we want to consistently be doing every day. For example, um, one question could be, Have I done my best to listen to others before talking? Have I done my best to be focused and not distracted? Have I done my best to be open and not closed? Have I done my best not to feel angry when my idea was rejected? At the end of the day, you go through each question and answer yes or no. There is no maybe. It honestly takes 30 seconds when you have about six questions. And at the end of the week, you look at your success rate and think about what things you could change to help yourself be more successful. This activity works best with an accountability partner. In fact, apparently to this day, the author will send his completed table to his friend just to keep him accountable. When the friend sees a dip in the habit, he might ask the author, hey, what are you doing to improve this? Personally, I can tell you that this activity has helped me a lot. And I find myself during a day being reminded about these behaviors I committed to practicing daily. Now, if you find all these practices a bit too much, then think about what D. Cox said. Leading others requires you to invest 40% of your time in leading yourself first. The practices I suggest above can take 16 minutes in a day, 10 minutes of mindfulness, 5 minutes of journaling, and 1 minute for your daily questions. I will often do my mindfulness practice in the morning and my journaling and daily questions at the end of the day. To me, my team, my organization, and the health system, and frankly, my family, deserve that I spend that 20 minutes to help me be the best that I can be. Are you already doing all or any of these practices? Do you need help getting started? I would love to know. So please reach out by sending me an email at curiosity at butterflytheories.org. Okay, this is it for this week's podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, or if you have a different perspective to share, send me an email. For the transcript of the show, or to sign up to my newsletter, visit www.butterflytheories.org. And remember, if you found this episode helpful and think someone else might benefit from listening, please share them a link. And don't forget to follow this show to stay informed as new episodes are released. 
Stay open and curious, my friends. It's the only way to lead in complexity. 